I have to say the one we went on together with um, Rod Griffin was oh yeah was, oh so much fun day like, <laughs> <laughs> just some of the things that happened on that trip just the fun you know aspect of it was um, yeah yeah, yeah like uh, I was talking um, the other day I was saying how we were off at night time and you yeah. know, I couldn't find the under 18 some of the under 18 <laughs> girls and I thought no we, come on guys knocking on your door you and Ross well let's go and see if we can find them make sure they're okay and at that stage you said to me you going in your pajamas I said hello I'm in my pajamas we'll just go and see if we can find them <laughs> and then we went across the road to that uh, hotel where the um or the royalty of uh, IWS was staying oh that's right yeah, someone pushed the top the top button of the lift and we opened out into that nightclub, literally opened into the nightclub and there's Sebastian Toe uh, standing there looking at, at us and me in my pyjamas. <laughs> Chasing down these athletes. Um, so that, that is a very fond and funny memory I always refer to. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi guys, it's Dane Verway here, back again for episode 34. This week I've got Lisa Verstratton, who's a great running coach from Geelong. She's heavily involved with Athletics Victoria and coaching development She's been a coach on numerous Athletics Australia teams for cross-country and athletics. She's a great resource of coaching information and on coaching philosophy. So I really enjoyed the chat I had with Lisa. But before I get into that, I wanted to get into my last two and a half weeks of training as I lead up to the Canberra 50k Ultra. Now, sorry I haven't been reporting my training weekly. I thought that I might give you all a bit of a break from hearing from me each week and I just get a bit of training done before I report back so I've got something worthwhile to talk about. So I'm pretty keen to talk about my next two and a half, my last two and a half weeks and and what I've done. So I won't go over every little piece of detail because a lot of it's just easy jogging but I'll go over the main, main parts of training that I've really been focusing on and why. So I left off um, and I haven't really talked to you since I think it was about the 16th, 17th of February and uh, going on from that, uh, the Monday after that, so the last two and a half weeks, the Monday after that I just did uh, a nice easy 70 minutes at cool stores like I usually do. So you'll find that on Monday I always go to this nice rail trail which is just some, a nice dirt rocky trail in Mount Eliza um, along a, a railway and I just run 70 minutes along that with a few of the guys I coach. So just rolled along that for 14Ks. Tuesday, I just did 
um, a couple of runs. So what I normally do on a Tuesday, I also go to Ballon Park and catch up with a few of the guys I coach. I watch their session, but I do their warm-up and warm-down. So it ends up being a split 8K for me. I end up doing the strides and drills. So kind of works out really well for me because I end up doing a bit of neuromuscular kind of stuff and work on you know high knees, butt kicks, A skips, B skips, karaoke, um, and then just actually trying to sprint, which I'm shocking at now um, after all this marathon training. So it's just good. It forces me every Tuesday, Thursday to do some sprints. Then in the afternoon, I just go um, for an easy afternoon run an hour. Um, so I end up covering about 20K for the day. I do 12K in the afternoon. I just did that at 5.03 per K. I end up going to Frankston Golf Course, which is fun. Um, I've got a private golf course that not many people use, especially if you get on it you know, quite late or early in the day. So I was, I was, do, I did that quite late Tuesday afternoon, and um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Nice and soft underfoot. So whenever you can find a golf course, it's pretty good for the legs. Now on Wednesday, I had probably the first of um, about oh, five or six big sessions that I want to talk about, and this this session was um, seventy minutes on the track of. Uh, alternations so every 400 I change um, speed Um, so it's 50 laps so I did 25 laps at 79 seconds and 25 laps at 89 seconds so I'd do a 79 and then an 89 79 and an 89 79 and an 89 and that's how boring it was it was pretty hard it was raining it was solo Uh, it was just me and the track and um, me counting laps and and wanting to stop but just kept going so one it was a great mental grind but two what what the whole idea behind the session was it was 70 minutes of work um 70 minutes of a fartlek and uh i remember you know four or five years ago watching josh harris do a lot of these sessions and you know been a bit influenced by my recent chat with nate nate jenkins on the podcast so if you haven't heard that episode um that's a recent episode with nate jenkins who's who's a really big advocate of Canova's training and he's a big advocate of alternations. And I, I kind of agree because uh, whenever I've done these kind of alternation sessions, I really find that um, I do get fitter off them. And the whole idea was to go a little bit faster than marathon pace and then a little bit slower than marathon pace. So just um, um, peppering away either side of that marathon pace threshold to do it for a long time. Um, and, you know, what better place or more boring place to do it than the track I knew why I did it on the track was I knew I could just like lock into paces really well and yeah it was boring and um repetitive and monotonous but um uh as a marathoner you you do need to kind of get good at that and um if you really are um super driven by performance um then like I am, um, then, you know, what better place to do it? And so I averaged 3.31 per K for the session uh, for 70 minutes. I was wrapped with this session. I was wrapped to be finished with it. Um, but, yeah, no, I felt, felt really good doing it. Um, so, yeah, that was a huge tick in the box, and it gave me a lot of confidence because that was really my first really big sort of um, session of, of the last two and a half weeks that – I sort of had planned a really hard two and a half weeks of training. So um, got that done. Thursday was the usual. Go to Ballon Park, watch the guys train, do the split 8K where I do their 4K warm-up, 4K warm-down, and then some strides. I actually did some hill reps with the guys, which was fun. So we just did 
um, six by 50 meter heel reps, which uh, we all really liked. And um, I think we might start doing that as a bit of a usual part of our training. Um, influenced a little bit by a few guys I've been listening to, whether that's uh, Julian Spence and Moose off the Inside Running podcast, whether it's, uh, yeah, once again, my chat with Nate Jenkins. But it's also my knowledge that, um, yeah, I'm losing speed as the more I do these marathon-specific workouts, and I'm finding it really hard to actually uh, change gears. And so it's really just to try to stay in touch with that, that turnover and that neuromuscular um, effect of what um, fifth gear feels like. Uh, I also feel like it gave me some good glute activation. It made me pump my arms. It made me um, really activate muscles that I don't activate when I'm doing marathon training. So yeah, and it's only a small load, like it was only um, six um, 50 meter sprints. So, and then did that in the morning, then in the afternoon, just did another um, 12K, just locally, 60 minutes at 4.45 per K. Friday was another easy run, 5.16 per K. So you find I go pretty slow on some of these easy runs, um, you know, um, compared to what a lot of guys I run, run against do. So a lot of guys I run against, you know, doing 4.20s, 4.30s, I don't know if it's because I've always chronically got a bit of a stiff Achilles, so I am pretty slow out of the blocks in the morning and I sort of shuffle around uh, um, or whether I was just, you know, a bit tired from the Wednesday session. But, yeah, that seems to be the case. I sort of shuffle around at 5.16s or around five minute per K for a lot of my easy runs. Saturday uh, was another easy day. I did 20Ks of easy running. I did actually three runs that day. I did a morning run before work. I had work till lunch. The morning run was just 35 minutes at 4.42 per K. Then I did the warm-up um, after work with uh, the guys I'm coaching, just watched um, um, Jess Dunsmore and Ned Buxton do a 1500 session, um, did their warm-up for 20 minutes, then caught up with a good mate, Brent Layla, who I'm coaching and trying to get over an Achilles injury. So we caught up for lunch, which was good in Mordialic, and then went for a cruisy 60 minutes at 4.21 per K. So actually got rolling that run. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, did 9k there. So 20k's for the day. Sunday, I actually did another big workout. So that was the second workout I really wanted to, um, talk about. So that was called the, the Rofflin. Um, so I got this actually off Nate Jenkins. Um, but Victor Rofflin was a really good runner, um, uh, back a few years back in, and he won a world championships, um, or he might've placed at a world championships, he placed really highly at Tokyo Marathon. He might have won the Tokyo Marathon. He ran 207 uh, for the marathon and, um, yeah, was uh, yeah one of the best European marathoners around time. Um, actually, one of the best European marathoners ever. And, uh, yeah, he would do um, 35 – or he'd do 40Ks um, at a solid pace, like at 80% marathon pace, and then get into 10 by 1K or 3 by 3K or – five by two K. Anyway, I chose to do 35 K at, at 80% marathon pace at, so four Oh five per K. So I got two hours, 22 done at Devil Bend. So some rolling sort of gravel hills, just we have a good turnout of guys, um, um, for the run culture hours. So really forming a great group down here on the peninsula. They all stopped and I kept going. So I ended up driving five minutes to a um, nicer part of the road. Um, it was a gradual hill actually um, on the gravel road and ended up doing 10 by 1K off two minutes break. Um, was really stiff out of the car and ended up doing a 336, 331, 321, 327, 
So as you can see, every second rep was really good and then every um, alternate rep was a little bit slower. They were all peppering around marathon pace or thereabouts, um, which is what I was aiming for. Massive session, felt really stiff after it, um, but got it done and was really doubting I could get it done actually there for a while. Like I started the reps and when I did that 3.36 and 3.31, I was like, oh, what am I doing? Uh, This is shocking. Um, was almost pulling the pin there. Then I said, oh, I'll get to six. Got to six, almost pulled the pin, but it's like, oh, I'll get to eight. Got to eight and I was like, oh, I may as well do the 10. So now really happy to get that session done. Uh, so that was the end of the first first week where I, so I got the Rofflin, Rofflin long run done, um, the Victor Rofflin long run down, the 35K into the 10 by 1K. And I got those, that 70 minutes of 400 alternations done. Then I was into an easy Monday at Cool Stores, my usual rail trail run for 70 minutes on a Monday, just 4.59s for 14K, just an easy recovery run. Tuesday was the usual um, in the morning at Bellin Park. I did my split run, so 4K warm-up with the boys, 4K warm-down with the guys and just some strides and drills. 60 minutes easy in the afternoon, 12K at 5.01 per K, so another recovery run. And then it was in, into another really big fartlek. So I had um, two sort of big fartleks planned for this week. So Wednesday, I ended up going to Brayside Park, which is a nice 5K gravel loop. And I ended up doing the spedding fartlek. So Charlie Spedding, Spedding was a famous uh, British marathoner who was really good back in the day. And one of the fartleks he was renowned to doing was 60 minutes um, easy to solid. So... I ended up doing 60 minutes at 4.20 per K, feeling pretty rubbish actually, but listening to a few podcasts along the way, um, it was pouring down with rain um, and squelchy underfoot and I was feeling pretty tired actually still from the weekend, I think. And then I, um, yeah, got rid of the hat, the headphones and actually I think I got rid of the top and um, just ran in the rain um, for a six, oh, another 70 minutes of fartlek. So um, after that 60 minutes at 4.20, I ended up doing um, a pyramid fartlek. So what um, Spedding did was um, he did one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute, four minute, three minute, two minute, one minute, all at sort of a hard pace. So probably like half marathon pace, but all separated by a pretty solid pace of running. So um, normally, like I, I've done this session before where I'd normally rock around 3.45s for my rec- five minutes of recovery. So in between each rep, you do five minutes of recovery um, at a pretty solid pace, so 90% marathon pace. Um, I only ended up doing four minute per K for my recovery pace, so sort of 80% marathon pace because I was, I was too tired um, and that just felt like a nice pace to do. And then I was um, trying to do sort of half marathon pace, but ended up being between marathon pace and half marathon pace for the hards. So it wasn't a blinder of a workout, but it was a it was a definitely a good workout given how tired I was, and it was good just running on tired legs and forcing myself to try to go hard on tired legs. So ended up doing thirty two k's in total at four oh twos per k for the whole session, um, uh, for two hours and ten minutes of um, running. So yeah, stiff, tired, and in the rain but got it done and then I was on to work, had a shower at work and um, got through the work day. It was a pretty hard work day after that. Thursday was once again easy, so I did my um, 
morning split run with the guys. So 4K warm up, 4K warm down with the boys at Ballon Park, um, just at 5.08 per K, some strides and drills uh, in between that. And then in the afternoon, 60 minutes at 5.04 per K, so 12 Ks. Um, so yeah, real easy recovery day, 20 Ks of easy running. Friday was um, a really slow day. Um, I kind of was like probably just um, reeling a bit from those last three hard sessions. So 5.37 per K for 60 minutes. Um, so I only covered 10.7 K at Lange Flora and Fauna which was a very different run compared to the one I just had today. So funnily enough, after um, a bit of an easier week and where I focused on 10K pace stuff this week, um, I managed to um, do that same run feeling just probably easier, if anything, um, at 4.32 per K for 13K. Best Friday um, easy run I've had for about two months. So it really made me think, oh, I've got to remember this last week of training I've done um, where I've just had an absorption week, done two 10K pace sessions um, and really tried to recover. Anyway, so after um, last Friday's um, recovery run where I was feeling shocking, I ended up uh, doing a couple of easy jogs on the Saturday. I actually tried to sleep in, so I slept in with Jess um, till pretty late and then didn't get my 12K easy done till 12 in at mid- midday, um, so just did 12Ks at 5.02 per K, just at Lange, Flora and Fauna um, Reserve again with Remy the dog. Then just stayed at home, did lots of jobs, got caught up with um, the house, which was a bit in a bit of a state of disrepair. So Jess and I got a few things done. We bought a dryer, which we've been in need for so that we're more efficient with our, with our washing. Um, and then in the afternoon, um, just ran 7Ks easy locally once again with Remy, at 5.10 per K, so real easy day, 19 Ks of easy jogging, into another big long run. So caught up with the guys, another big group at Devil Bend, which is great, really forming a great routine there with the guys on the peninsula. Um, And yeah, just did what I've labelled a mixed bag long run. So um, a long run with like heaps of pace change. So did 6K easy warm up at 4.52, so once again, Devil Bends, you know, gravel rolling hill roads, so pretty slow going. Had the four, my old four percenters on, which I've been doing for a lot of these specific marathon sessions. And then, yeah, just rolled along um, after 6K easy at 4.52 into a 10K um, at medium sort of effort, so 80% marathon pace, so 4.08. So that's 16Ks done. Then it was into 5Ks fartlek. One minute on, one minute off. So average 346s per K uh, for that section. And that was hard. I was just feeling really sore in my Achilles for this one, which is probably to be expected given the increase in workload lately. 9K is easy after that at 425 per K. So just tried to recover, um, which that got me up to 30Ks. At 30Ks, I was like, all right, here we go again. Let's go into sort of 80% marathon pace for 5K and then try to finish strong the last 5K. So did 5K from 30 to 35 at 357 per K along the dirt, hilly roads, and then 5K strong at 336 per K. Uh, So finished at a really strong, what I'd call marathon pace, given how tight I am in peak training and, and on that course. So probably 25 k's of solid running in the 40 k's of running the whole um, effort was 40 k's at 411 per k 
Um, and I was wrapped with that session. So yeah, after, um, yeah, just a real mixed bag. Um, but just a lot of pace change in there. Just another big fartlek session. So that was my second big fartlek session for the week. All right. Like I said, um, the week after that, which was this recent week, just gone, I've gone, all right, two big weeks done. Let's have a recovery week where I just absorb a bit of that and actually do a bit more sort of 10k specific work. So did my 70 minutes just at cool st- stores again, um, 4.44 per K, real cruisy recovery run. Into um, Ballon Park on the morning of Tuesday. This night I actually did the session rather than doing a split run. So did the 20-minute warm-up, warm-down, but also did 5 by one k just with Pete Dutton as he tunes up for the Melbourne Uni 5K next week. And Damien Clark was also tuning up for the same race. So... Had those two and Ben Griffin in um, for um, the ride um, for 5 by one k And, yeah, a great session, two-minute recovery. Did 3.10 per K, 3.06, 3.04, 3.03, three minutes. Um, so, yeah, just some nice specific um, work at 10K pace uh, or roughly. I'm not sure what I'd run for 10K at the moment, but it was just a good pace change for the legs. 7K easy in the afternoon, just at 5.13 per K. Um, Wednesday, real cruisy Wednesday. So the last couple of Wednesday, I've done sort of really hard Wednesdays. So this felt funny, just running at 5.11 per K for 90 minutes, covered 17.7K. Into yesterday, Thursday, where I went to Ballon Park again, just uh, run the first 20 minutes with um, Pete um, and Jess, uh, uh, Dunsmore and um, yeah, Pete just did eight by four hundred, and I ended up doing twenty by four hundred off forty-five second static recovery. And this session, compared to the one I did a few weeks ago, where I did the alternations, where I did twenty-five four hundreds at seventy-nine into um, a rest four hundred at eighty-nine. This time I did twenty by four hundreds, a lot faster, sort of ten k pace. Um, with a 45 second static recovery where it wasn't moving and so I was able to really pin down that pace and really get some good neuromuscular um, turnover and uh, yeah ended up doing 77 77 74 73 74 74 74 73 so all of those eight were with Pete as he um, prepares for next Tuesday for his 5k hopefully he's in PB shape he's in great nick then I ended up just going by myself. So I normally go a little bit faster. So I ended up going 72, 72, 71, 71, 70, 71, 70, 70, 70, 70, 69, 67. And felt great doing it. Achilles is a bit sore still, um, but that's also been the idea of this easy week is just to try to get that under control as well. So a little bit less Ks. I missed um, yesterday's Arvo run um, just so that um, oh, I mean, I missed um, yeah the Arvo run um, for Thursday, so that afternoon I didn't do the Arvo run just so that I also am recovering a bit better. And then Friday, like I said, best Friday I've had for two months. Um, felt effortless. Something clicked today. Going to remember this cycle and this last week because um, definitely got some hard training in, but definitely have no- definitely noticed today something changed. Like I was moving across the ground really well. Um, felt effortless and um, uh, com- like I said for a Friday to run 4.32s for me is quite something um, normally I'm running a lot slower on my easy days but Achilles felt fantastic as well which was a, probably the best win of the week actually to be honest because um, I knew that I know the fitness is there 
just sometimes Achilles is a bit stiff on these easy days and really hampers how I can run and how efficient I am. So yeah, no, huge fitness gains, definitely fresher, definitely absorbing the training. Um, uh, so yeah, I'll um, be back with another update in the next few weeks. I've got four weeks to go. All right. Enjoy the chat with Lisa. It's a great chat. All right, welcome back to episode 34 of the Run Culture podcast. Uh, Today, I've got the pleasure to chat to Lisa Verstratton. So Lisa is uh, a distance running coach. Uh, She's hailed from Geelong. She has coached on numerous Australian cross-country teams and uh, has coached some incredible runners, including Isaac Hockey and Lachlan Barber. Uh, She's also a vegetarian and um, qualified personal trainer, fitness coach, uh, and, um, yeah, currently working with Athletics Victoria um, in the coaching development area. Um, Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Oh, thanks very much, Dane. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks Uh, for I'm I'm wrapped to have you on. Uh, Yeah, I I just wanted to get started um, by, yeah, how, how did you get into coaching? Um, well, I guess, Dane, um, you could almost say it was in my blood. Um, both mum and dad were club coaches um, for Little Athletics back, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, dad went on to take on the role of um, comps manager for a few seasons as well. So I guess I've been involved with athletics for a long, you know, since the age of seven. Yep. So you were doing Little Ath since seven years old? Yeah, I was in Little Ath from about seven years of age. All right. And Geelong. In Geelong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then um, how did you end up going with your own running and athletic sort of career? Well, um, when my own children started um, Little Athletics, I got involved with a man called Andrew Bigelow, who was heavily involved in Little Athletics down in Geelong. And I guess he was the person that encouraged me to start um, coaching. I was already doing personal training. Um, and I also um, was a kindergarten teacher at the time. So I guess those skills just really combined uh, well in coaching. Um, And he had a vision of starting like a developmental distance squad in Geelong. Um, I had a bit of strength and conditioning background and I guess the game play also, which was really important with coaching the younger athletes. So it sort of just worked well. And about 2005, Fast Track Running was born. Yeah, fantastic. And and with Fast Track Running, is that are you still running that now? Yeah, I'm still running it now. Um, I predominantly do the programming because I guess I've always found that as a strength in my coaching um, is my programming. I like to be creative and um, make it fun for the athletes and um, each individual athlete. So I still do the programming, but as you can imagine, I'm working up in Melbourne now, um, it's hard to get back to Geelong as much as what I'd like to be a part of the group. So my husband, Jack, who's also a coach, he, um, he runs the day-to-day sessions. Yep. And because he's running the um, yeah, Geelong Running Company, isn't he? Or part, yeah. part owner? Well, yeah, we, we um, own the um, franchise of the running company Geelong, but my yep. son manages that for him, for us, Jacks. Yep. Um, it's very confusing. So many <laughs> Jacks around. Uh, yep. Yeah. But uh, Jack, um, my husband, he does the coaching side of things. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, Claudia was doing some some also when she was back um, in Australia. Yeah, so we keep yep. it in the family. Uh huh. And then the other daughter, Darcy. Yeah, Darcy. She um, doesn't run anymore. She's yep. um, doing um, bodybuilding, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, she's heavily involved in that now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so when you started uh, the fast track running group. Uh, how how many kids did you have um, initially and, and what days did you train? Initially, we probably had maybe 12 to 20. It sort of fluctuated, but it got up to about, at some stages when they were young, it got up to about 20 to 30 athletes. Um, and we just did two sessions a week, um, so on the Tuesday and the Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we, we really tried to create um, a lot of fun for the children. So, um, yeah, it was nothing serious, just a lot of fun. And you just used your kindergarten teaching background to, to yeah, like you said, make it sort of more playful. and. Yeah, so we did a lot of game play. So a lot of warm-ups were done through games. Yep. Um, and um, we did um, like some circuits with lots of, like colourful um, equipment, so skipping ropes. We had hula hoops, you know. We had yep. um, lots of lots of fun equipment for them to join in, and we made it. Um, we, we put them into teams, and that's how we do like this agility and strength training. Because I guess it's important when they're young to develop an athlete, not a runner. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was a lot of like yeah, jumping, throwing, sprinting, and and running like and agility. And agility, yeah, yeah, moving through those different planes that we don't use when we run. So, yep. you know, developing an, an athlete I felt was really important and that's what we focused on, you know, fun and social as well. So, yeah. Cool. And and then so for how many years did you sort of have that, that set up and, and what did it sort of grow into? I guess as the um, – well, as – when they were young, we also did a lot of fun runs as well. So – I, I and my family did a lot of fun runs together. Yep. But also as a group, we did a lot of fun runs together. So as much as I could make it fun and social for them, that's how it went for a lot of years. Yep. Um, and I guess um, my coaching philosophy has changed over the years um, depending on where my group has been at. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we talk about coaching philosophy um, but it's organic and always evolving, yep. um, growing and changing. And I guess the more learning opportunities you take along as you go, formal and informal, that changes. And I think um, my philosophy, even though my group has changed, it's still the same, yep. um, but for the different athletes in my group. So how has my group now changed? Um, we've got I've always had older athletes as well um, and yep. master athletes. So my philosophy for them is different to my philosophy for my young ones that I still have in the group now. So yep. I still have young ones in there. Um, and, of course, I've got those that want to head towards high performance. So my philosophy for them is probably a little bit different again. Yep. Yeah, so with the ones that did want to take it more seriously and head towards more that high performance um, direction, uh, how did you change training for them, uh, like, as they got older? 
Yeah. As I got older, I guess what they wanted from it was yep. they still wanted the fun and the social. Yep. Um, so we still had we held camps, which I think was really important to help yep. keep those athletes in the sport, number one, keep it social, number two, um, but also teaching them, um, I guess, important um, learning experiences about who they were as an athlete. Um, these coaching camps, I think, provided them with that. Uh, taught them how they could um, travel uh-huh. as an athlete. So I guess that was a, another lesson that I hoped and I think they did learn from from those experiences. So we definitely added in some camps um, and I guess we um, did some goal setting, yep. which is really important. And um, their overall programming went from um, to an annual uh, you know, we'd, we'd be programming maybe two years in advance at that point just to make sure that um, we were heading where they wanted to head and, um, yeah, it was driven by them. So you sort, of, you sort of would sit down a bit more and actually plan, plan, plan it out um, uh, with like a, a proper meeting and, and come up yeah, with definitely. goals. and Yeah, very yeah. goal-orientated. So their programming itself was done um, thoroughly and well in advance, so... Um, you know, sessions, um, you know, we would have um, all the stages of um, an annual plan in place. Um, sessions were done well in advance, although they, of course, organic and change as the athlete, as, as is required. Yeah. Um, that flexibility is really important. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we set goals. We set a season's racing calendar for them. Um, depending on, you know, what they wanted to do and what worked out best for them. So I guess that's how it changed. Yep. Um, and I guess in a way they it changed intrinsically for them as well. So yep. they, they wanted to, um, you know, they had goals they wanted to meet personally as well. Yep. Yeah. And um, who, who are some of these athletes? Are you sort of referring to sort of maybe the Isaac Hockeys or Lachlan Barbers? Or, yeah, like, Lachlan yeah. Barber um, yeah. and Sharon Pedersen at the time. She, yep. Yeah. So um, a few of those <clears throat> athletes, um, I guess, wanted to make that transition. Um, yep. Both Lockie and Isaac wanted to make under 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Sharon was always um, heading for that Masters um, steeple. Australian record, which she eventually got. Nice, and, and so like starting from the start, like how, how did um you actually sort of meet, say Isaac Hockey and Lachlan Barber? Like how did they actually sort of get in touch with you, or or you get in touch with them? And uh, like how did how did you see them change as as people and as runners as they progressed over the years? Well, they I've coached them for many years, so yep. a, a long time um, since they were just young you know, tiny dots. Um, And I guess, um, yeah, it was great to have them from an early age, I think. And how did they get in contact with me? I don't know. I guess through their parents. uh, Some of them through Andrew Bigelow. Um, You know, we just had that group going um, through Little Athletics, through my club. Club referred athletes to me, which was Chul Athletics um, and South Barwon Athletics at that point. Uh, yeah, so a combination of ways and I guess um, just reputation starts to come in after a while and yeah. see that, you know, like I'm 
um, how I'm training them, um, that the kids are having fun. I mean, we were the ones at the at Landing Field where everyone was cheering each other on. We were yep. the ones that were laughing and yep. enjoying what we were doing. So I guess that um, was a great starting point for people to think or children to think I'd like to be a part of that squad. Yeah. So you had a great culture um, and, yeah, everyone was enjoying it. So then it, it, it attracted more people. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then with, um, like with Isaac and Lachlan, could you see straight away that they were probably destined to be really good runners or was um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how much of it did you sort of know that they were going to be good runners from the start or? Oh, um, those, those two in particular, I guess I had others. There was Jordan Scott was there as well. And um, Jordan, I guess there was Jordan, Claudia and um, uh, Lockie that had that like when an athlete comes along and they have that natural spring, you know, that yeah. that bounce in their step, they yep. can tuck jump to, a, you know, yep. unusual heights and yeah. they just have that natural gift. I mean, they come mm. along, some of them go on, some of them don't. Um, yeah, for, for many reasons. Um, yeah, so Lachlan was one of those, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely had that... That natural spring. Um, he was, he was perhaps not as. Um, oh, I don't know. What would you say? He... Did you ever think you're going to like lose him to football or something like that? Or no, not really. Because I yeah. encourage, always encourage them to play other sports. Like yep. I said, I want to develop the whole athlete, so it was really important yep. that they do do other sports until they wanted to either give it a go or. So whatever they were really happy with. But yep. um, they both did give up their other sports eventually, um, I guess, when it was time to focus on World Juniors. I guess that's when. And for Claudia, she was focused on World Juniors um, but then ended yep. up um, not making that team and went over to America on a scholarship. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had a quite a – I'm having quite a few athletes. I've got two athletes now. One's just headed over Heidi Demio. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's just gone over there um, at the moment, uh, and I've got another one heading over in August. So that's become a focus of my group too. Is a lot of them are now wanting to head over to America on scholarships. So I've seen that transition over the years definitely in my group. Yep. Once upon a time, it was to make world juniors, make them make world uni games, make masters games. Um, now, a lot of it, a lot of them coming through, have the ambition to attend university in America. Uh huh. Okay, and and then um, so like as they were uh, like as um, like Claudia was aiming for um, yeah to get to college in the US and um, Isaac and Lachlan for under twenties. Uh, like, did their like? I know it's a long time ago, but did their training change change a fair bit? And uh, uh, what were some of the um, main sort of harder kind of training sessions that you like like giving them? Yeah, of course, their training did um, yep. change in that um, couple of years leading in, but we always had a plan all the way along. So it wasn't like it was a massive change straight away. Mm-hmm. It was um, a progressive change over years of progressing their kilometres very carefully um, because as, you know, coaches, we, and as a physio, you know that 
if they get injured, you know, it takes double the time to get back to where they were before they got injured. So the best um, plan of action is to be really careful with your athletes and make sure they don't get injured. Um, yes. so we always try to manage that. It's really hard with growing athletes, though. Um, you know, those bones seem to grow a lot quicker than uh, their tendons and their muscles. So that's always um, something to contend with when you're coaching developing athletes. Um and, and I guess it did become more intense in that lead-up because they have to try and get the qualifying times and then they have to repeat that prior to um, being selected in the team as well. So I guess it does become more intense um, and they do focus a lot on that. But at the same time, they're dealing with the VCE as well. So that yep. can be a juggling act for them. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and the sessions we probably did, we started doing more, were more blended sessions, I think, um, yep. leading into that phase. Also sort of like some tempos or thresholds and then some shorter intervals. and Yeah, um, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, so we would do, um, what would we do, the blending sessions, like um, leading into it in pre-comp um, comp phase, we would do thresholds or um, I guess ins and outs or bends and straights, some people call them, yep. around the track. And then we'd do some mobility and drills. We'd do some flying, say some flying 40s with a walk back. So the recovery after the... Um, the threshold so it might only be two 2k threshold so it wouldn't be a lot yep um and then they do some mobility and drills as a bit of a recovery time um then we do some flying um runs yep um to work on their speed and their kick uh we'd also then do it just a short sharp session i guess so for example, a 1500 session for Isaac may have been something like an 800, 1500 pace. Um, yep. He'd do a lot, we'd do a lot of um, float recoveries, mm -hmm. um, 200, then 200 at 800 pace, um, jog back to the 120 mark, and then a 95% effort back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then similarly, the 800 session of that session would have been a 400 at 800 pace, 200 float, 200. Um, jog recovery and then a 120 fast. Yep. Um, they may have jogged back for another 120 after that, just depending on where we're at. But that, And then, of course, we'd take some shoes off, do a couple of laps in reverse and, and some intrinsic foot muscle work and some rolling, and that would be the session. Nice. Um, but generally heading into that, that, that would be typical of the sessions that they were doing at that time. Yep. And so did you combine a little bit of... Um... Uh, your PT um, strength and conditioning background as well. So um, like for the um, growing sort of athletes and the young athletes, this, um, you know, if you, if you thought they were weaker somewhere, um, you know, maybe do some strength exercises um, around that, that body part as part of their training. Yeah, look, I did. I, I yeah. did. Um, but I also, um, from an early age back then, I sent them into our physio. I had a um, yeah. relationship with a physio down there and we would send them in to um, have their bodies looked at for all their imbalances in their body and we would work from there. But I, I also know my limitations as a coach. So and I think that's really important um, for an athlete or a coach to know yep. your limitations and engage a health professional mm -hmm. to look at those things because they look at it um, from, you know, an unbiased perspective as well. So they see things that you may not see. So it's really and – I, I, and on saying that, I also think it's important to take some footage and take that in so they can see them moving as well. 
not just in yep. that stationary position. Yes. Yeah, so we did we did that, um, and I also um, liked to engage a physio that also had um, the physiology background as well. So um, they were able to prescribe, um, and that, they had gyms at their um, centre that they could the athletes could go along to and work on that as well as technique. Nice. Yeah, and and then. Uh... Like I spoke a little bit before about, um, like, uh, you know, as a teenage athlete goes through adolescence, um, like you just got to be careful because they're, they're growing. But then it just sort of made me think about, um, I suppose, the, the female sort of distance athlete has, um, like, often they're going really well at, like, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and then they sort of hit a bit of a plateau as they develop. Um, like, did you find that, um, like, what did you do from a coaching point of view and a communication point of view, um, like, with your athletes as they sort of, um, you know, if they're starting to struggle through that period of their um, development? Yeah, look, that's that's a tough question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did deliver something in New Zealand on this um, yep. once. It's hard because it's individual. Um, to every athlete mm-hmm. and I guess as a coach you have to understand that every athlete that you um, are coaching is an individual and should be treated as such so um, I think for females um, equally it's as challenging for those male distance runners that yep. are late developers yep. especially um, because I guess the males as late developers they um, so their you lift up their K's every year. Generally, coaches do it depending on what age they are, um, and maybe we don't consider as much how developed they are as well. So not just their, um, you know, there's many ages you've got to consider of your athlete, yep. and perhaps it's their developmental age that is not where their chronological age is, um, and yep. I. Yes, you know, they may be doing, as an 18-year-old or a late developer, 17, 18-year-old, they may be doing 70 Ks a week, um, but is their body capable of that? And once they do start developing, how, how much of their energy availability is going into not just existing during that day for bodily functions, but also um, the exercise they're doing and on top of that, the growing that they've just started doing. And those late developers do seem to grow, you know, they develop really quickly. Um, so I guess that's where we can fall down as coaches. Um, yeah, is not looking at that energy availability. And I guess we can see that that can change daily. Um, yeah, depending on what's going on in, in that young athlete's life. And that's a really Uh, good point. Like knowing that it's male and female, um, athletes and, uh, and then also that everyone develops at different rates and, and so mm -hmm. that. Yeah, everyone should be, you know, probably treated differently. Um, and, uh, you know, just because a certain amount of training worked for one junior athlete doesn't mean it's going to work for the next one. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And young females, I mean, they've got the challenge. They don't get testosterone, you know, that boost into their bodies um, at that age. So it's really hard for the female athletes. Um, you know, they've got body image challenges, Um They've yep. got to, yep. you know, deal with, 
they're growing and changing bodies that naturally has to happen. Like you do have to grow from um, a young body into a fully grown, beautiful female body. Um, and I guess I need to put in the disclaimer there, I'm not a health professional, I'm a coach. So everything I say is definitely just from a coach's perspective and what I've learned over the years. But definitely um, there's conversations, positive conversations to be had with athletes. I think that's the key. You, you have, there have to be positive conversations around it um, and referring to professionals as need be. You know, like even with a young growing athlete, you might um, notice some changes, they're growing all of a sudden. They still want to do everything they've always been doing. Um, so you might have a conversation perhaps with the parent around um, do they want, you know, do they want to see a dietitian? Would they like to see a sports dietitian to make a plan to match in with their um, energy availability and also their diet at the moment? Are they interested in that? If not, hey, here's some great ways while they're growing that we can add in some, give them some extra energy, you know, adding in a smoothie in the morning or um, some snacks um, to have during class, uh, making sure they've got something, you know, prior to coming to training and then bringing something to eat, you know, as soon as the session's finished. So yep. there's those conversations you can have as well. But I, I honestly think you've got to keep all those. You've got to actually be there for them. So yep. You've got to um, listen to what your athletes are saying to you is so important um, and really try and understand where they're coming from, uh, how they might be feeling um, and keeping those conversations open as a coach I think is really important to keep on top of it. And I think, um, like, I really saw that in you. Like, so on a couple of the um, last um, couple of World Cross Country um, Championships where you were one of the team coaches in the Australian team um, like I felt like that was one of your really good strengths was like um, you were a really good listener and um, uh, and good communicator with the athletes and because you were created that nice friendly environment the athletes felt like they could talk to you and um, you built that rapport so they felt comfortable to say things that they wanted you know if they if they were worried about something yeah, and I think that's really important as a coach. I, I think, you know, the technical skill of coaching, you can learn through educational courses, um, which I equally think is important to educate yourself in that direction. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's another side. There's the art of coaching, which is separate again. But then I think there's um, being really personable as a coach, like who, who you are as a coach. Um, and it's, you know, there's an athlete and then, then there's the running but beyond running, there's them as a person um, and they've got a whole life to live where they've got to feel confident, um, you know, comfortable in their own skin. They've got to, you know, you want them to go out and be, um, take on the world, you know, as a person. So you want to encourage them to be the best person they can be, but you you want to also be there for them. So, um, you know, you, you've got to be approachable. You've got to have some understanding, some empathy. You've got to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes and you've got to really be able to support people um, and their growth, um, whether it's with you as an athlete or it's not with you. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think communication is really, really important as a coach. Yep. Yeah, that no, makes sense. And that's sort of something, because I had a chat 
on the podcast with Adam Didick um, a few weeks ago, and he really said the same thing um, along the lines of um, if if a runner or an athlete's you know happy in their personal life and outside of running, um, then it's probably gonna you're probably gonna see that in their performance as well. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I guess for team coaching, that's where that really comes in. So I, yep. when you're a team coach, you're not the athlete's coach. You're what you're doing is facilitating the program that their coach has sent along and supporting a their coach and and their athlete that they've got on the team. Um, and of course, you're bringing the team together uh, as a team, uh, representing their country. So. I think, like Adam said, if you've got happy athletes within that team um, and they've got someone to talk to, if they do have any problems and we can work through a solution, I think they're going to run and perform better for their country and for themselves. Yep. Um, how, like, so you've done a few teams now. Um, like, What are some of your fondest memories in terms of um, some of the Australian um, athletics and cross-country teams that you've helped out with? Oh, look, I, the teams that I've been on, I just feel oh, unbelievably, um, like, um, thankful that I've had the opportunity to go on some of the teams I have. Um, they've all been amazing. Like, I've really enjoyed all of the teams and the athletes have all been incredible. I've not, yep. you know, come across a time where I've not had a great um, experience and um, all the athletes have been amazing. But I have to say the one we went on together with um, Rod Griffin was, oh, yeah. was oh, so much fun, Dane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just some of the things that happened on that trip, just the fun, you know, aspect of it was, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. like uh, I was talking um, the other day, I was saying how we were off at night time and you yep. know, I couldn't find the under 18, some of the under 18 <laughs> girls. And I thought, no, we, come on, guys, knock on, on your door. You're in Rod's door. Let's go and see if we can find them, make sure they're okay. And at that stage, you said to me, You're going in your pajamas? I said, Oh, well, I'm in my pajamas. We'll just go and see if we can find them. <laughs> and then we went across the road to that uh, hotel where the um, all the royalty of uh, IWS was staying. Oh, that's right. Yeah, someone pushed the top the top button of the lift and we opened out into that nightclub, literally opened into the nightclub and there's Sebastian Co uh, standing there looking at, at us and me in my pyjamas, <laughs> chasing down these athletes. Um, so that, that is a very fond and funny memory I always refer to. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, they're... Like and that's right. Like that, and that's probably the good thing about running is um like it's that it's those um yeah just all those experiences along the way um yeah um oh, oh I just wanted to touch on um your role with, as the coaching coordinator for AFS Victoria like um like uh what does that job involve and and have you learnt a fair bit even just um. Could uh, could you have to run some of the coaching courses, don't you? Um, or um, have you learned a fair bit from that role? Yeah, I have. Um, I guess I've learned a lot, um, and I'm I'm actually learnt when I got here that I was surrounded by the most amazing team here at AV. I guess you don't realise what goes on behind the scenes and yep. how incredibly hard everyone works in here um, was a real eye opener for me. Uh huh. Um, and I guess what I what I do here and what I hope to 
um, achieve here is um, to get the message out into the running community, the value of coaches in our sport. Yep. Um, and also to make coaches feel connected and valued by Athletics Victoria, you know, like the running community. Um, yep. I guess how does that translate to my job? So my head goes a mile a minute. And I've got so <laughs> many ideas buzzing around, you know, that I'd like to bring to life. But I guess I have to be patient. Um, it takes a lot of planning and resources. Um, but um, one of my, yeah, coaching education, I definitely uh, believe in coaching education um, 100% and support that. Um, so we run many um, opportunities for coaches to upskill during the year. Uh, so that's probably the main project management side of things that I do here. But there's lots of other things um, that I do as well. We've got a winter series of coaching workshops coming out soon. So there'll be five workshops um, yep. over the series of the winter that we're just putting together with lots of other member associations. Um, so other sporting codes in Victoria, which will be very exciting. So stand by for that. Okay. Um, yeah. And I guess we're trying to always professionalize coaching for those that want to professionalize their coaching careers. So um, I'm trying to do some work in that space as well. Um, but also equally those who just want to be community coaches, you know, that's equally important because I guess at the end of the day, our sport is a participation sport more than it is a high-performance sport. Um, yep. Yeah, so um, trying to all support coaches in all areas. Um yeah, supporting women coaches in our sport because predominantly, I guess, it's still a male-dominated um, area coaching, so supporting yep. women um, in their coaching roles um, and also, you know, connecting and supporting um, other groups in our society, you know, to feel welcome and a sense of belonging into our sport. So LGBTIQ, refugees, different cultures, um, different demographics. So working on all of, all of that as well, just, um, you know, like a holistic approach to coaching and the reach that it has. Um, you know, we've discussed on the podcast already, coaching isn't just about coaching a skill, it's coaching, you know, groups and communities and yep. getting people active and moving. So also looking into that space as well. Nice. Um, I wanted to ask, um, like, who's been the biggest inspiration as a as a coach? Um, but yeah, also I wanted to sort of say that um, uh, when you mentioned oh, that you wanted to um, make sure that there are more women coaches out there in in, run, in the running community, um, uh, Nikki Frey, she she had a little bit of a did she have a little bit of a role with um, when um getting you into sort of like those those um bigger roles eventually with us australia or yeah look definitely nikki um brought me into the fold of the wider coaching community um she was the one that made me feel really valued as a coach um Mm -hmm. and probably yeah invited me to i think initially and she invited me to when we're talking about Lockie and isaac and Claudia and, you know, Corinne Demio, all those people at that time that were sort of heading into junior teams, um, she invited me along to a um, under-20s camp up at Falls Creek. So I guess she did invite me into all of that and introduced me to a lot of um, higher-performance coaches, I guess, that I hadn't met before, 
Yeah. Um, and she really um, guided me through that time of my coaching, I would say. Yeah, she definitely was an inspiration to me. Um, and I guess Richard Huggins along the way has been as well. Uh-huh. Uh, Richard's always talking about listening. He's always a great listener. And um, yep. I think he's mentored a lot of coaches throughout the years. So, yeah, he's another one. I mean, there's been a few, you know, we talk about going away with Rod Griffin. I mean, yeah. for integrity, it doesn't get much better than Rod. So yep. good examples there. Um, and I guess of late, you know, um, you can't admire anyone more than uh, Peter Fortune, I guess, Forts. Been yep. an amazing coach. Um, yeah, and I'm loving chatting to him at the moment, getting still learning more because uh, you never stop learning, do you? So yeah. throughout your whole life in everything you choose to do. So, um, yeah, still yeah. learning. Well, on that, what, what have your biggest learning experiences been along the way? Like some things that you really um, feel like stand out as you think, think about it now um, on your coaching journey? Well, I guess we've covered off a lot of them. Um, yep. I was looking before the coaching, um, international coaching and the teams that I have been away on, um, and I guess that's why I would say I'm so lucky to have gone on those trips um, because I think that's where I learned the most. Yeah. Like, uh, not only from, you know, people like yourself, people like Rod, um, Susan, I've learnt just so much um, along the way from everyone who I was involved with. I've learnt something from those yeah. things. I've learnt the processes of high-performance coaching. Um, I've learnt, yeah. you know, um, how to team manage. I probably learnt properly from there as, long yeah. as, as well as taking, I used to take a group over to um, New Zealand so um, mm-hmm. I did that for a few years as well. So um, I think I've learned the, a lot through there, you know, listening to people um, in meetings um, yep. and picking brains of um, other coaches and other team managers, uh, I guess, has been an advantage of, you know, I happen to be sitting next to someone in Switzerland um, from St Gallen on the way home from the World Cross uh, last World Cross. Yeah. Um, and he coached the winner of the men's race. So I picked his brain all the way back on the plane. Oh, was that um, uh, that chapter guy? Um, yeah, Joseph chapter yeah, guy. Yeah, the Dutch guy. Yeah, the, from Uganda. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I picked his brain all the way back. So I guess <laughs> uh, that's, that's how I had my biggest learning experiences and, and that's why I'd encourage other coaches and even athletes to talk to coaches. You know, um, you can learn so much from them. Everyone's got something to share and you don't have to yep. take everything from them, but um, listening and deciphering through what may work for you and your athletes, um, I guess, is the way to go. Um, yeah, I remember, um, yeah, Justin Rinaldi, who I had on a few weeks ago, said a very similar message. He, he um, just sort of took it upon himself to um, jump in with some of the Kenyans when they were um, training down here. And then, um, yeah, through that, it led to more opportunities down the track. And, uh, yeah, he said, you know, it was just through having that in- inquisitive mind and then also just, um, you know, having the confidence and and. Um, and also just knowing that, you know, there's nothing to lose, like just, just approach someone and, um, and it can be a, a learning experience and, and just another opportunity. Yeah, I think being inquisitive, like Justin said, is really important. But, uh, yeah, and, and he's also said you've got to have the confidence to be inquisitive. 
Um, So I guess when you're first starting out um, coaching, you may not have that confidence. Uh, But, um, yeah, I I would encourage coaches to just go along to other coaching sessions, like really network out there. Come along to um, PDs, you know, like the Athletics Victoria offer, you know, you've got the opportunity to um, network really heavily and get involved, exchange um, numbers, you know, emails, have people to bounce ideas off, um, get a second opinion on some sessions that you're writing. You know, what's the harm in that? The more you can work together, um, the better the outcome for you and your athletes. So, yep. yeah. So um, if there was a runner listening to this right now who was interested in getting into a bit more coaching, uh, would you just suggest to log on to the Ask Victoria website and uh, 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 follow the follow the links to the coaching um, uh, calendar? Yeah, so at the moment you can either hop onto the calendar through um, AA's website or you can hop onto the members portal through Athletics uh, Victoria's members portal um, and all the... Um, courses are listed through there but what I would suggest um, to any potential coaches out there or athletes wanting to become coaches is to do two courses in the one year if you can so do the level one you know sort of towards the start of the year and get in some coaching experience and then do the level two Um, because I I think you probably do need the level two under your belt um, and then gain experiences as you go along. But really put yourself out there. Start getting around to different groups. Um, contact other coaches, see if you can come along. Find yourself a mentor. Um, yeah, really important. Get to as much PD as you can. The more you learn, the better. Yeah, do some yep. research online. Um, yeah, listening listening to um, podcasts like your own. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's all really important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did the level two last year. And, um, yeah, it was really a good day. I, um, yeah, you're right. Like it's a good networking opportunity and, um, you, you find you're just sharing stories and, and meeting a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I, I met a couple of other physios actually that I'd, I'd n- never, um, um, talked to before. So it, no, it was, it's yeah. Good having everyone in the one room and, um, just brainstorming, um, yeah, ideas and, um, and, and I suppose, um, sharing knowledge and, and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And you think of um, yourself, you know, as a physio and a coach, what knowledge you have to impart um, to other coaches. Like people need to take advantage of of that and really, um, you know, drill down and find out what it is and how you find it beneficial and what you suggest and, you know, how to keep their athletes healthy. I mean, you've got so much to to offer. So, and there's plenty of people just like you out there that have so much to offer from different from your skill set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then um, yeah, I suppose uh, I just wanted to. Yeah, I don't don't have many more questions. I, I was just wanted to um, ask, like, how's life going outside of coaching now? Um, so, outside of coaching, what are you up to? Oh yeah, outside of coaching and working, what, yeah. I, what am I up to, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I guess. <laughs> It takes up a lot of my life, but um, yep. my family really is my um, my main focus, of course. Is Cla- Claudia back home? Or? No, she's no. over in the US now. She has a partner over there who's yep. trying out for his – in the draft of the NFL. So he's I think he's got his draft day next 
week, maybe. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so she's over there supporting uh, him. I believe she helped him run his um, session because he's tapering now. He's been over in a camp in Miami for three months. Yep. Um, and then he goes back to his uni for um, the day that they um, do the draft. And... Um, yeah, so she took him, helped him out with his coaching session this morning. Yeah, I was just chatting to her. So she's over there. Um, she's studying. So she's doing uh, postgraduate study nutrition at the moment. She did exercise, basically an exercise science, um, and now she's doing nutrition, hopefully heading into dietetics. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so missing her but loving that she's um, getting out into the wide world. Yeah, and as I said, Jax, he's now uh, managing the running company for us. Um, yeah, so, I've, you know, I've got my mum to look after. So family is, a, I've got my sisters, so a really big focus for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of other businesses, so that's another focus. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to get to do more travel. Oh, more what? Travel. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's, you know, where I want to uh, spend any spare time I've got now is just yep. uh, just travelling and making the most of life, really. You know, nice. good times with friends, all that kind of thing. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, um, probably no different to you. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. That's so good, Lisa. Um, no, I'm, I'm so, I reckon um, a, lot, a lot of people get a lot out of um, this episode. Um, Thank, thanks so much for, um, you know, giving me the time and, um, you know, taking the time out of your work day to do this. So, no, so appreciative of it. Um, oh, nice. yeah, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. No, I feel like I just rambled on a little bit. So I hope something did come out of it. I don't think I got as many messages out as I would have liked to. So um, <laughs> well, is there, apologies is there, for that. Is there any, any other, any other um, messages that you thought, oh, hang on, I, I would have liked to... Um, say something about that yeah uh, well yeah. i think i waffled on a bit too much i think um, no, you didn't. no it was good i guess one of the things the questions that i um you know wanted to get across i yep. guess mainly was around the philosophy and what actually makes a good coach yeah um and i think that we need to be always evolving in that space like i said but i, I yes. also wanted to get across which i hope i did was you've got to have different philosophies depending on the age of your athletes but also you know where that athletes wants to be you know if they just if they want to be high performance yes you've got to take them along the journey of a high performance and coaches are high performance but if they want to be recreational runners participation runners um because everyone has to exercise you know like um i think we've got to head in that direction as well you've got to coach to the needs of of who's in front of you yeah i guess that was the main message i wanted to get across yeah no that's a good message because yeah when like i sent you through a few questions last night and one of them was like what's your coaching philosophy and um i think like that that's so true like it um, I mean, your coaching philosophy is going to change if you're coaching someone younger or someone older um, and, and their goals and, and you're treating the individual. So, um, yeah. I mean, like, could you give an example of that? Like how did, when you're um, doing co- coaching the fast track juniors and then you're coaching um, the masters um, athlete who did really well, like how did the philosophy of how you approach coaching differ? 
Well, as I said, the young athlete has to be fun, social, a little bit of relative success and progression, Um, but only in relation to um, their development. Uh, Yeah, but um, the recreational runner, like that space is amazing and there's some great coaches out there at the moment in that space because I think like we as a sport need to be seen as a participation sport within the community um, rather than just a high-performance sport. So because that's what we are really, aren't we? You have a look at park run, recreational running, it's huge, fun runs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think that's different as well. That has to be a lot more social, creating a lot more social activity around training. Training doesn't need to be as serious. It needs to be more of a team environment, I think, for those people. Um, so creating, you know, as your philosophy, you know, you might do more teamwork involved coaching. So a lot more fun and relays and, um, you know, you would be totally different. Yeah. Your programming for those ones. Masters, athletes, of course, you have to be more careful with them. Their bodies aren't as resilient as they used to be, um, but they still want to, um, they still want to set goals. They still, but they still want to have fun as well. So, um, yeah, high performance athletes. Wow. So <laughs> they take a lot of time and commitment from a coach. Yep. Um, and not every coach would wants to head down that. They may think they want to head down the high performance um, pathway, but um, you've got to put a lot of time and commitment into those athletes. And you know, it comes at a cost. Um, yep. You know, monetary cost to support that athlete. You know, you think of travel time, time away from work. Yep. Um, and just the time you have to put into their programming, you know, attending all their races, sports science, yep. um, goal setting, planning, going to meetings, high performance meetings, you know, yep. um, camps and, with them. And because they're pushing that edge, like they seem to be like always on the edge of a sickness or injury. So like it's, yep. it's almost like plans change, you know. So yeah. yeah, as a coach, you're always on. You're always switched yeah. on if you've got athletes heading into that high performance space so you know and plus there is obviously a lot involved there in supporting them so dealing with their expectations emotions and disappointments you know as probably next level to um it, obviously it's still there for every runner at every level um if yeah, they've but got goals but... their life is like they've got more to like there's not just their sole focus kind of thing um like often often when you're you know if you're dealing with a recreational runner um, their life is a bit more balanced and they've got other hobbies and mm. other things to, to, yeah, but still like it, it's still um, a big part of their life. But yeah, when you're dealing with someone who's making it, you know, such a big part of their life, like if they're really trying to make it in the high performance or that, you know, if it's almost like their sole thing they're focusing on. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, hats off to all those high performance um, coaches out there that, you know, like your Rinaldi's and your Adam Diddick and Liz Matthews um, and um, Nick Badeau out there, you know, many more. Um, yep. I'm focusing on the distance community because that's where yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, but, um, yeah, hats off to them because, um, you know, it's a lot of work. No, that's that's great. Um, no, th- thanks, Lisa. Thanks, thanks a lot. I've, I've taken up more than enough of your time. It's about an hour now, so yeah, we better um, call it a day. Yeah, call it a day. Um, and uh, yeah, cheers once again.
No, thanks very much, Dane. All Have right. a great day. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.